Well, the main character in our story tonight is a guy who had a dream to serve God. And kind of sort of gets it in a way he didn't expect. And so we're going to take a long time. I'm going to read you a Bible story today. It's going to be fairly easy. I'm going to stop along the way and make little observations. Remember that we're in the season of Advent. We're talking about thin places. And I would say that today's topic is preparing for thin places, getting ready for a thin place between you and the Lord. If you didn't hear the introductory talk last week, then you can go to our website, scumoftheearth.net, and you can hear it there. But a thin place is one of those great places where it seems like the barrier between heaven and earth becomes very, very, very thin, and where ordinary things become holy, and when, where, where holy things become ordinary. It's one of the most awesome experiences ever when you find a thin place in your life. And today's Bible character gets to go into a very, very thin place. And so I'm going to start reading. I don't know if we'll have the scripture behind me, but just listen closely. It'll be like in the old times, before they had PowerPoint, <laughs> before they had overhead projectors, before they had radio and television. Okay? Just like ancient Israel, which is where we're going. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now, Luke starts right off, sets us into human history. He talks about the governmental structure in the time when Herod was king of Judea. There was a priest named Zechariah, and Zechariah belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So both of them are from priestly lines. They both have heritage. Aaron was the high priest, the very first high priest under Moses. And so here you have this couple with this kind of blue ribbon heritage this beautifully religious genealogy. That's all we know so far. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Okay, now we know something more. Not only did they have the pedigree. He was a priest. She was from a priestly line. But they were the real deal. God who can look into the heart and at the intentions, said, these folks are blameless. These folks are cool. You know, there's a public life and a private life. Sometimes we elect someone to office because his public life looks really, really, really bright and shiny. And then what happens is, as he's in office for a while, you find out, eh, not so shiny on the inside. There's trouble at home, there's shady dealings in the past, and you're going, oh, 
man, another one that doesn't match up to all the hype. Not so with these two. These two are the good guys. Their public life and their private life were identical. They had integrity. They were the same on the inside and the outside. Verse 7, But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, this tells a huge story. Because in that day, in that place, if you didn't have children by the time you were very old, it looks like God wasn't blessing you. Because there was no Social Security back then. The government didn't care what happened to you once you got old. Who took care of you? Your children and your children's children. And if you got to be old and you had no child, it looked like God was not smiling upon you because it was going to get really, really rough later on. Not only that, but you had the disgrace of your family line dying out. I mean, the name was not passed down. So people probably looked at these two, whom God said were awesome, and thought, something must be wrong. God's not blessing them. We know how God works. God doesn't bless people who are doing something bad or who don't have the right motive. So all around them were probably people who were wondering, eh, they're probably not the real deal. There's something going on. And so they had to not only bear the pain of not having children, but they had to bear the disgrace in the eyes of the community, all the while knowing they were trying to serve God with everything they had. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt that way? You are trying to do the right thing with every ounce of your strength. And it seems like God is not listening to your prayers. It makes it doubly hard to serve God, doesn't it? Because some people just go, F you, God. I'm not going to serve you anymore. You don't do what I ask. You don't help me out. In fact, my life is abysmal. Because I say I'm trying to serve you. Now, I don't think it's a good thing to tell God off. But that doesn't mean I never felt that way. And truth be told, it doesn't mean I never did it. By God's grace, I'm still alive <laughs> and here to talk about it. It's a good thing that God has more mercy for me than I have for others. Or even for myself. But see, even in the, in the middle of this, Zechariah and Elizabeth don't turn on God. They keep doing the right thing. They are blameless in His sight. They're that cool. All right? They're those people. Verse 8, 
Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. You know, this is like the first good news we've had in this story in terms of how things are going for Zechariah. Because he grew up in a priestly family. He knew he was going to be a priest from as old as you can know anything. And they would have this lottery, basically. I don't know if they cast dice or dreidels or... I don't know what they did. Drew straws. But he gets picked to go into the holy place and to burn incense. Which is, you know, it's one of the only, it's like one of the best things you could hope for if you're a priest. It's like winning the lottery. And once you win that honor, you can never go back again. There were 18,000 priests in the land of Israel at the time that Zechariah was alive. 18,000. And to even go into the holy place in the temple at all during your lifetime was a huge honor. And so he gets to go during a time of prayer, either 9 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon, we're not sure when, and burn incense. And finally it looks like maybe all the people are wrong and Zechariah and Elizabeth really have been righteous the whole entire time. And I imagine he thought of this from the time he was young. This is like a dream come true. Like you talked about doing something great for God. It doesn't get much better than this if you're a Jewish priest in the first century. Actually, just before the first century, but it doesn't matter. This is like 4 or 5 B.C., now, all the worshipers are praying, and everybody knows Zechariah's going in. It's like vindication day. Yes, finally. So he goes inside. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Okay, this is value-added. This is like, not only do I win the lottery, I go in to the holy place to burn the incense, and there's an angel of God. This is awesome. I mean, I've asked God, could I see an angel sometime? I mean, seriously, I've had enough demons for a lifetime. I don't want to deal with any more demons. Next time, could it be an angel, please? So far, that has not been granted. All right? This guy gets to be face-to-face -face with an angel. I'm just thinking, wow. I mean, I'm jealous now. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. This is, this is amazing. Every time people in the Old Testament or New Testament come up on an angel, you would think to be going like, Ah, this is great. Let's sing a song together. You know, let's praise God. Give me a high five. Let me touch your wings. Whatever. <laughs> Assuming angels have wings. I don't know that they do. 
I guess they, well, some do. Some do we know. Some have like multiple pairs of wings. So, no, read Ezekiel. It gets really weird. Anyway, um, so instead he's gripped with fear. Everybody is afraid. It's like, you know, it's like, lo, the angel of the Lord fell upon them and they were suddenly afraid. They were gripped with great fear. Lo, the angel of the Lord. I'm going, who's lo? Why? I mean, is this like short for Lorenz or something? Anyway, um, but angels have names, right? Gabriel, Michael, lo. That's, that's what I'm thinking. I kid, I kid. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Oh, my. You want to talk about a thin place? This is a thin place. All, I mean, you've been praying for years to have a child, and all of a sudden, the day that you get to go and win the lottery in the temple and stand not only in front of the altar of incense, but in front of an angel of God, he brings you even better news that your prayers have been answered, that God has seen you the entire time. That's what would impact me. I mean, like, I mean when I was praying all alone, crying in my, in my room, you actually heard me? When, when my wife was, was, was shouting and, and screaming because one more time she wasn't pregnant, you actually heard that? When people would, would mutter around us, when, when people would, would assume we were cursed by God, all the whole time you knew this was going to happen, and, 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 and now it's going to happen? This is a very good day for Zechariah. And the angel goes on. It's better. It gets better, folks. Verse 14 you are to call him John, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. I'm going, oh, this is, I mean, being a parent, let me say that parents know that children are joys and delights, sometimes. Sometimes you're just waiting for them to grow up and leave your home. But this one, this baby, is going to be a joy and delight, period. And not only will they know it, but everybody's going to know it. Verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Oh my, I'm not just having a kid. I'm having a prophet. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, now this angel is quoting scripture, Malachi and elsewhere, and saying, you know what? For the first time in 400 years, 
God has not spoken for 400 years, and guess what? Your kid is going to break the silence. Your kid is going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children back to their parents, and the foolish are going to learn from the wise. It's going to be terrific and awesome. He's going to be great in the sight of God. I mean, oh my, oh my, oh my, this thin place is so thin, it's like paper thin. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. This is not the first thing you say to an angel after that kind of news. Like, yippee would have been a whole lot better. How can I be sure of this? Other translations. How can I know this? I want to know it. I need to f figure it out. I, I, I want to be able to tell people, like, how this is going to happen. I mean, I, I've, I'm a priest. I've got a reputation. I, I'm a teacher. I, you know, and, and, and it just goes on. And, and Zechariah, come on. Hello. You know, it's, if you read the account of Mary uh, being visited by the same angel sometime later, you know, she asked a similar question, like, how am I going to have a son since I'm a virgin? And, you know, her intent may have been different, granted. She just didn't understand because she was a virgin and she knew where babies came from. Like, what does this mean since I'm engaged? I mean, her motives could have been great, but I think it goes beyond that. You know, Mary was a 15-year-old, maybe, young girl, never schooled at all, except at home. Zechariah was probably a 50-plus-year-old guy, a priest, schooled in the Scriptures. I think God expected more out of Zechariah. I really do. Didn't Zechariah know the stories about Abraham and Sarah and how God worked that pregnancy? I mean, this isn't news, is it? I mean, how could Zechariah respond this way? Had the years of waiting and waiting and waiting and not getting an answer to your prayer, has it somehow calloused him a bit? You know, it was, why isn't Zechariah more open to God at the present moment in this very, very thin place than he appears to be? Is it because he studied the Scriptures and studied the Scriptures and come up with some conclusions about why maybe God isn't doing this? Is his great learning becoming a stumbling block to him at this particular point? And the, the, the comparative ignorance of a young teenage girl is actually... A benefit? Does God ever stop trying to teach us, no matter how old we get, about his character and what he's doing? Could there be some times in the life you have years from now where God says, I wish you were like you were back when you were at Scum of the Earth Church, when you accepted just about everything I said to you? 
when you were on fire for me, when you believed the impossible, when you had these dreams of what you might be able to do for me. So be careful as you get older. And those of us who are older, be really careful. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. You know this is not going to be good. <laughs> I mean, that kind of opening. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Dun, 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 dun. Is God past teaching an old, wise, faithful, good, blameless, upright, righteous priest a lesson? Evidently not. And it's a pretty severe one. For nine plus months, Zechariah is not going to be able to talk, and many believe not be able to hear either. Verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Like, come on, light the incense, get out of there, dude. We got a show to run here, come on. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. So he went from Jerusalem to the hill country of Judea. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. Welcome home, hon. And for five months remained in seclusion. This is a quote from Elizabeth. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She gets a thin place, too. She gets a thin place, too. We're going to skip ahead to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. You guys all know what that is? <laughs> Ask me later. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No! He is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then he made, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the whole country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. 
Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Do you wonder if Zechariah had a chance to think about what his first words might be the next time a thin place came around? For nine months, the man was not able to talk. All he could do was listen to God. And the interesting thing to me is, is that the place that was supposed to be a thin place, him going to the temple, him going to church, like when you come to church, this is supposed to be a thin place, this is supposed to be where you encounter God, it wasn't at all. It wasn't a thin place, I mean, even though he saw an angel. It wasn't as thin a place as what's happening right now because something in Zechariah's heart was not prepared. It wasn't right. And he couldn't hear. When God finally spoke to him, when the answer to his prayers finally arrived, he could not respond in kind. But after nine months of being totally silent, God shows up and Zechariah breaks into a song, a prophetic song, a song that becomes Holy Scripture. His words, read by millions upon millions of believers for over 2,000 years. Zechariah probably thought, you know, it'll be the greatest day of my life when I get to serve in the temple. Or when I see an angel. Or when I finally have a child. But God had even better plans for him personally. Zechariah, you are going to be a character in the greatest story ever told. And the words that you utter after being silent for nine months are going to become holy scripture. Listen to what this dude says. It's like everything in his life, every, every bit of training, every bit of suffering before John was conceived, every scripture that he read came to one glistening point in his life, and this is what he says. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation, a strength of salvation for us and in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Oh, my. Oh, my. This guy knows things that are going to happen. 
This guy is prophesying that his son is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. He understands the whole scope of salvation history. How can he know that? How can he be aware? For nine months, he's been in the thinnest place possible. Silence and solitude in front of the Lord his God. I think that we create our own thick places very often. We don't really want silence. We need it. Just this past week, everything was Tuesday night. I went to sleep around midnight. I woke up around 3, and I could not go back to sleep. And so I lie there for a while, trying to go to sleep, trying not to think about things. You ever try not to think about things? Not thinking about that bill i got to pay. Not thinking about it. Not thinking about that other thing I didn't do. Okay, fine. Tell you what, I'm just going to take out my iPhone. I'm going to look at Facebook for a while, see who else is up. <laughs> so I, you know, Ellen Brooks was up, actually. <laughs> and, and I'm looking on Facebook, looking at, you know, da, da, da. pretty soon I'm going, okay, that's enough of that. I'm, I'm awake. I'm not going to sleep now. I, oh, I know. I'll go work on my newsletter. So I get up. I go in the dining room. I have my computer set up there. I start working on my newsletter. I go, oh, okay, that's enough of that. How about, oh, uh, let's look at some movie previews. So I looked at iTunes movie previews. And then finally, you know, I'm going, eh, it's like 6 in the morning. I'm going, I really should try and get some sleep. So I go back. I lie there. I try to go to sleep. Nothing going on. And all of a sudden, just the thoughts start pouring into my head all the things that I haven't done that I ought to do, and by the time I was done, by the time 6.30 rolled around, 7 o'clock rolled around, I'm in full-blown repentance mode. I am confessing. I am asking God for mercy. It becomes a very, very thin place. I'm going, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I, there's so many things I haven't done. It wasn't stuff that I had done that was bothering me. It's stuff that I had not done. Sins of omission. And Honestly, I mean, it was good. It was good to get that off my chest and to be in the presence of God. And then I thought later, I could have done this at 3 o'clock in the morning. I didn't have to stay up the whole time avoiding the silence. Why would I avoid the silence? Because I don't want to repent. But repentance is great. It's good. Maybe I need to stop being a religious person and just become a person who needs God. Maybe you need to stop being a religious person and just become a person who needs God. Maybe that was Zechariah's problem. Maybe I shouldn't focus on the task of doing things for God. Maybe I should just focus on the voice of God. Maybe I should spend less time doing God's work and spend more time just being with God. Maybe I should spend less time trying to be a teacher for God and spend more time being a student of God. Maybe I should start operating out of my weakness and not out of my strength. But the silence scares me because I can hear God speak in the silence. 
So I feel the silence like you do. And it's easy because it's an awfully loud world. You can't hear yourself think. It can make you join a monastery or it can drive you to drink. But the sound of the bullets flying and the sound of the children crying, it's the sound of the man on the TV commercial who's selling you what you're buying. It's an awfully loud world. If you make a big noise, but if you're marching to a different drub, it doesn't go over big with the boys. It's the sound of the party that I revel. It's the sound of that money metal. It's the sound of the band on the radio station singing Sympathy for the Devil. It's an awfully loud world. You can't hear day and night, night and day. No wonder you can't get away. With the sound of the big wheels turning and the sound of this little world, world squirming and the sound of the kitties at the cartoon altar that's teaching them what they're learning, it's an awfully loud world in an awfully small room. And it gets so much you can't hear nothing else. Not a soul is immune. It's an awfully loud world screaming louder each day. We're crying out, cut it out, shut it down. Someone make it please go away. Those are lyrics from the song Awfully Loud World by Randy Stonehill, who I think understood my problem, maybe your problem. I would like it not to be our problem this Christmas time. This Christmas time, let's get ready for the thin place by spending time with God alone in the quiet. I want you to make a commitment today to spend several moments either each day or a chunk of time during the week where you're not talking to anybody, not going anywhere, not doing anything except just sitting in the presence of God silently. One of my favorite things is to light up the Christmas tree, turn all the lights out, and just look at it. Sometimes I even get on the floor and I look up under the Christmas tree and all the lights, I just lie there and don't say a word. Maybe, maybe we can hear God's voice this Advent season. Maybe it's not all about the commercials. Maybe it's not all about the crappy Christmas music. Unlike that of O Starling, which you can purchase online <laughs> and benefits come with the Earth Building Fund. But maybe this Christmas time, you can make a commitment to spend some quiet time and prepare for whenever it is God shows up. Because what you don't want to have happen is for him to show up and you to totally blow it. You missed an opportunity. You don't need to Stay up till 6, 30, 7 o'clock in the morning. You don't need to have an angel of God say, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Maybe we can hear him the first time. Please pray with me.
Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us, that you would help us this day, that in the times of even forced silence, times when we have insomnia, times when we're sick, times when we're laid off from work, times when the house is empty, that you would speak to us and we could hear. We would be listening. Lord, prepare us for the place where the ordinary becomes holy and the holy becomes ordinary. In Jesus' name, amen.